0: It's December 5th, 1766, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Ariel, Rebecca and Ali, The
2: Retrospectors. A set of six breakfast bowls and plates sold to Mr. Shepherd for 19 shillings. Insert noise of hammer hitting gavel and polite applause. An inauspicious start, perhaps, but it was this sale that kicked off auctioneering as we know it, when today in history, in 1766, Scotsman James Christie, as in Christie's,
0: first held an auction in his London showroom. Yeah, it was billed as a sale of the household furniture, jewellery, plates, firearms, etc., property of a noble character, brackets, deceased. That was its billing. And among the things that did get sold alongside what Ollie just mentioned were, yeah, the sheets and the pillowcases, but also two chamber pots. (laughs) Like, who has turned up at this place to buy secondhand chamber pots? And how is it that that launched the career of the most famous auctioneer ever?
1: Well, I mean, modern auctioneering was still a newish affair. I mean, obviously, people have bid against each other for things generally for, you know, since the, the dawn of time. But The first auction house had opened in Stockholm 100 years before this day, and Sotheby's had only opened about 20 years before. And this is reflected in the kinds of things that Christie was selling in those early days, because the idea of collecting as a hobby mm. was still relatively new so a lot of what he was selling is the kind of thing you'd see in you know a local auction today it's selling mm. off you know all random bits of furniture and people are going there to try and get a good deal they're not going there because they think they're gonna get some wonderful piece of art you know obviously Christie's now is associated with selling million dollar artworks but at this point it was like oh I hear so and so down the roads died
2: had some nice pillowcases didn't he yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah that mix is really compelling though isn't it and you can see why it got punters in mm. because I guess as well amongst the upper classes and it was upper class auctions that he was doing it was noble personages as you said Arian, who had deceased mm-hmm. um, left behind stuff that middle class people would have been interested to see especially because it was their chamber pots and it was the Madeira and the claret that they drank like it was affordable and it was kind of aspirational and it was also voyeuristic And I I think looking back on everything that Christie kind of innovated on, and we'll get to that, the thing that really sticks out to me is the idea of the private viewing. Because, you know, yes, that became a way to go and see old masters for free long before there were free public museums, go and see a great picture. But actually, even in these days,
0: it was like, come to Pall Mall. Check it out. We've got a gun, we've got a pillowcase. <laughs> See how the other half live. And it was lucrative too. So that 19 shillings that you mentioned would have been the equivalent of about $220 today. So if you think about it, you know, like the very first lot in a in a in an auction that was going to sell a whole lot of things, and the sale went on to last for for days and ultimately generated 174 pounds worth of takings which would have translated to about $38,000 in today's money. So, you know, this he's already setting himself up quite well, considering that this is taking place. Actually, well, look, it's in Pall Mall, so it's not the middle of nowhere, but it's in someone's basement. And so he's already got something that's the foundation of what you can see Christie's becoming today.
1: Yeah, and I mean, his early sales are successful and they were diverse as well. They included coffins, barrel organs, pigs, chickens, dripping pans, <laughs> A ladies sedan chair and 72 cartloads of hay which were sold to the Duke of Queensbury. But what didn't do well was his first picture sale the following Mm. year. He had a Holbein portrait which sold for the equivalent of four hundred and twenty seven pounds, and a titian that sold for one hundred and eighty pounds. you know as, as I was saying, art collecting wasn 't really a big business at the time.
2: yeah, but he took the punt didn 't he? He could see that if he pivoted into selling art and created the market, then he was the only person who was specializing in in art. I suspect he might have got that idea partly of of specialism through his friendship with Richard Tattersall who, if you know that name, Tattersall's, the first racehorse auction house. So they were specialising in horses, and I think Tattersall may well have said to him, look, find a thing you're really good at and do that. And that's what you think of still with Christie's is art, isn't it? And I think he just knew that that was a reputation he was going to have to build over time, but it was worth it for the big prizes. And he certainly did, in the end, get some pretty big prizes out of that.
1: Yeah, and he was helped by the French Revolution in 1789, which led to a boom time for auctioneers because all the dispossessed French aristocrats were fleeing and flogging their treasures. So, and, I mean, it was it was a, bit, a little bit dark, really. In 1795, Christie's auctioned the former royal mistress, Madame du Barry's jewels, two years after she was guillotined. I
0: thought mm. you were going to say he auctioned the mistress herself. So you know, it's not as grim as it sounded <laughs> yeah, like it's going it, to be. Yeah, it could have been worse. <laughs> but also one of the reasons for his success was his great ability to make powerful friends. So you mentioned Tattersall, but also he was pals with Thomas Gainsborough. He was friendly with the politician and collector Horace Walpole, the painter Joshua Reynolds, famous theatre director David Garrick. And these people together became known as Christie's fraternity of godparents. And he really leveraged mm. these connections So Thomas Gainsborough, for example, uh, did a portrait of Christie and in the picture he's leaning on a a picture by Gainsborough, which is a landscape. And Gainsborough, even though we know him for portraits, he really preferred to do landscapes. And so he, he both put a bit of his work in the picture that was going to hang in Christie's and be the sort of, sort of record of his association with Christie. But also it guaranteed him the opportunity to be hung alongside these old masters, thus yeah. sort of elevating his work. isn't it? Totally.
2: So like, yeah, you come to Christie's to buy expensive art. Oh, look what's here, a Gainsborough portrait. Gainsborough must be good then. Yes. What's Gainsborough drawing a portrait of? Oh, a bloke who collects Gainsborough paintings. I mean, yeah. it's not very subtle. <laughs> but-, <laughs> but it was absolutely sort of networking, yeah. He was mates too with Thomas Chippendale, who built his lectern mm. that he used to stand behind to do the auctioneering. His force of personality, I mean, it was literally him, it was Christie himself who was who was hammer in hand doing the sales, was another reason people came. There was a real performative element to it, which... You can just imagine sort of English aristocracy before just seen as a bit gauche.
1: Well, he was really beloved. Apparently, he wasn't really a huge connoisseur of art, at least from an intellectual standpoint. But he was really, really good at making friends. He entertained people apparently famous for his dinners of venison and claret, You know, the <laughs> likes of Gainsborough and Reynolds were attending yeah he was really gregarious outgoing and when he died in 1803 his obituary in the gentleman's magazine said he possessed in a great degree the power of persuasion and even tempered his public addresses by a gentle refinement of manners so he (laughs) he brought this air of class to what could sometimes be a little bit of a ghoulish profession a lot of people were attracted because they wanted to see Dead people's stuff, guillotined mistresses, jewels. (laughs) But he brought this air of refinement to it, which enabled it to become a you know an aristocratic pursuit.
2: And patter as well. You know, he was very good at selling. So, despite all the people that loved him, there was a suspicion, I think, from the upper classes that, yeah, buyer beware. This guy, you know, he'll say anything to, to make you put, put your hand in the air.
0: Yeah, there's a satirical drawing of him from 1794 that's titled A Specious Orator. And uh, the, the, <laughs> the sales that he uh, arranged came to be known as Sale by Epithet. And the, so the, the caption of this uh, satirical drawing reads it's him talking let me entreat ladies and gentlemen permit me to put this inestimable piece of elegance under your protection only observe <laughs> the inexhaustible munificence of your superlatively candid generosity must harmonize with the refugent brilliance of this little jewel you know it's it's him holding forth in this beautiful way that uh, that managed to convince people to put their hands in their pocket
2: yeah yeah exactly i mean that's the dirty truth of it isn't it I and mean, there's not much satire that's still funny from 1794 but you Get that because that's what auctioneers (laughs) are still like, isn't it? That's the template he laid down. This sort of ringmaster thing, you know, a mere 500,000 pounds, a trifle for such a priceless work and all of that sort of stuff, (laughs) is still how Christie's operates.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes. And of course, the viewings, which you touched on earlier, there's a biographical article about Christie in an 1831 edition of the Library of the Fine Arts. And it says, During the season, when any remarkable collections were on view, occasional evening receptions took place. The great room was then lighted up and persons of quality attended in such large numbers that an official from the opera was stationed at the entrance to prevent the intrusion of those not belonging to the fashionable world. So basically a (laughs) bouncer checking if you were posh enough to go in and go.
0: Not in those shoes, mate. (laughs) 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 It's funny also, the stuff that has passed through Christie's over the years, including a Rootmaster double-decker bus, a Spitfire with sold there for 3.1 million Pele's football shirt there's this lamb with two heads that's been taxidermied and that sold for about <laughs> seven thousand pounds there's just this bizarre lineup of stuff oh a, a fiberglass uh, waxwork figure of Sigmund Freud comes with own rug <laughs> like just this sort of bonkers uh, stuff has gone through there and I think there's a sort of appeal to that high-end bric-a-brac and
2: that group sync you know, even now, even with sort of online bids, so you're not literally in the same room, but that group think of feeling the audience pressure, go on then, yeah. do I hear another 5%? The numbers cease to be numbers, don't they, once you're beyond a certain point. Once you've said, yes, I will pay £400,000 for this 90-year-old car, yeah. you know, what's four hundred and five? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> you don't notice anymore. Everyone in the audience is clapping when you, when you
0: make the bid. Yeah, you're the hero for losing all of your money really <laughs> ill-advisedly. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow.
1: The lead singer of Jefferson Airplane had been punched in the face by an angel.
0: Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors.
1: Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network.